a poem. This is what uh, my wife loves to read to me every day when I wake up. That's my wife's sister, so she can laugh at me like that. Uh, my lover is radiant, outstanding among 10,000. This is what I get to hear every day when I wake up. His head, purest gold. Well, his hair used to be wavy. His eyes are like doves. His cheeks like beds of spice. His arms, yes, his arms, rods of gold. His body is polished ivory, decorated with sapphires. I won't show you what I have underneath my shirt, but that's what you'd see. His legs are pillars of marble. His appearance is choice. His mouth sweetness itself he altogether is lovely now i would love to hear that every morning i haven't heard that yet but i read this because this is uh, a poem this is a, a love letter as it were uh, from one beloved to another uh, this is the poem from one wife to her husband to her beloved that's how she refers to him and this is the poem from songs song of solomon uh, chapter five uh, and at the very end of this letter uh, that she is writing to her lover, to her beloved, she says this, this is my lover, this is my friend. I don't know if, uh, if you're married, if you've ever introduced your spouse like that, that this is my lover and this is my friend. Or if you're thinking about getting married one day that you'd even have a concept that that's how you would uh, introduce your spouse. I think what I've seen, uh, and this has happened in my own marriage, uh, and I've seen this happen in a lot of marriages, is where you get to the point where you say, yes, yes, I love you, but I don't know if I like you anymore. Or a wife would say that to her husband or vice versa. And so the heart for today's message is pretty simple. God desires that we would actually have a deep, meaningful, joyful, enjoyable, uh, God-honoring uh, friendship with our uh, the reality, though, is a lot of marriages are currently not experiencing a deep, powerful, meaningful, enjoyable, God-honoring friendship with their spouse. Now, I realize that some of you here today, you're married and you consider your marriage as it is today, and you're thinking, there's no way. There's just too much hurt, there's too much pain, there's too much whatever. And the thought that you could ever address your spouse as, this is this is my friend. I genuinely like him or genuinely like her. It's just clouded right now because there's just a lot of pain and a lot of disappointment, a lot of frustration. My heart for you today is pretty simple, is that God's not done with you. God's not done with him or her. God's not done with this relationship. If you're married, I'm convinced that God has brought you together. He will keep you together, uh, not so that you experience life in a prison, but that you can experience life as friends, friends with benefits. Uh, I'm going to do two things today because uh, really I have one question that's kind of the overarching question for the whole message, and it's simply this. How do you do it? How do you cultivate a friendship with your uh, spouse that is a deep, meaningful, enjoyable, God-honoring friendship with your spouse? How do you do that? My heart would be, if you are married, you'd say, I want that. I desperately want that. I don't want to be the couple that just says, I love you, but I don't even like you anymore. I don't even enjoy being around you. That's not from God. God wants you to have that deep, meaningful, enjoyable uh, friendship with your spouse. 
So that's kind of the overarching question that I wanted to, to ask. Well, before I get there, something that uh, I've really been sitting with is, and I, I didn't realize this until I got married, but the friendships that I had before marriage dramatically impacted the friendship that I had with my spouse. Meaning, the way that I approached friendship, specifically friendship with other women before I got married, had a significant, uh, if not profound, impact uh, on my marriage. I'll say it like this. The type of friendship you cultivate in singleness will dictate uh, the type of friendship that you will have in marriage. So if you're single, you're, if you're thinking, wow, friendship in marriage, I don't need to worry about that because, well, I'm not married and I don't have any prospects of getting married in the next few months, few years, this message is actually really applicable to you. I wish I would have learned this or known this or someone would have told me, but the type of friendships that I cultivate uh, before I get married will dictate the health of the friendship that I have with my wife or with your husband. So really, I'm going to try to go through two things here. What does friendship, what should friendship look like before you get married? And how do you cultivate a healthy, meaningful, enjoyable, God-honoring friendship uh, with your spouse that he desires you uh, to have? Um, so two things I'm going to do. What does it look like before marriage? And what does it look like uh, in marriage? Uh, so the question, what does God-honoring um, what does a God-honoring and a future spouse-honoring friendship look like? Let me rephrase that. In your singleness, how do you honor God and how do you honor your future spouse with the friendships that you currently have? Uh, let me answer this in a few different ways. I think one would be if you're single, examine the current relationships that you have with the opposite sex. And if any of these statements are true of you, you might want to reconsider, is that really a friendship or is there something more going on? Everyone keeps asking you, hey, are you guys dating? They ask you because you just spend so much time one-on-one -on -one with that individual that the questions keep coming in. Is this a dating thing or what's going on? No, 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 no. We're just friends. If you find yourself saying that a lot and getting asked that a lot, uh, there's already lines getting crossed. Or you might he have heard this. You look or see this. You look around and see you're not uh, around any of your friends anymore. You're actually just, there's this one person, this male, if you're a woman, you're with this guy all the time. Or if you're a guy, you're with this girl all the time. So if you kind of look around your circle of friendships and realize, well, I don't really have those friendships anymore because I'm so consumed with this one, there's probably something going on. Or if you've heard this, you're, or this has happened, you're in a group setting and you find yourself getting jealous when your friend is talking with other guy girls in the room because you're jealous, hurt, upset, frustrated that they're not paying attention to you. They're paying attention to other guys or other girls. Or how about this? You walk into a room and the first person you always look for, no matter where you are, whether it's at church, an event, a party, is you always first and foremost look for that person. Well, there's something with that. Lastly, how about this one? Uh, now, I'm not saying this never happens to guys. I'm a bit picky. I know it doesn't look like I'm picking what I wear, but I am. A wardrobe crisis occurs every time you get ready to see your friend. So if every time you're getting ready and you know you're going to see this friend, you're freaking out because of 
what you're going to wear and all of that kind of stuff, you just have this crisis. Well, there's probably something to that, that you're no longer really just friends with them. And, you know, we, we've come up, I don't know who phrased this and how long it's been like this, but we have something in our society called Friends with Benefits. In fact, there was two movies released just in, within the last year, uh, one entitled Friends with Benefits and the other one was No Strings Attached. And the heart behind or the message behind those movies and the message behind this idea of friends with benefits is we can play boyfriend, girlfriend, we can play married, but we're not really committed to each other. We can enjoy all of the benefits. Some are physical, some are emotional, some are even spiritual, some just relational. We can enjoy all of those benefits as it were, but we're not actually committed. So when it gets hard or awkward, or difficult, well, you can leave. Why? Well, because you're just friends. That's all you were. You want the benefits of being in relationship, a committed relationship. You want the benefits of being married, so you play the part. But you're not ultimately committed. Now, for some of you, if you're in that now, it's not healthy. It's not God-honoring, and it is uh, not honoring to your future spouse. And ultimately, I, I think you'll see this if you haven't already, it's ultimately a very destructive relationship. So the question I want to ask is, what does God honoring and honoring to your future spouse look like? I'm just going to share a few things, hopefully pretty quickly, of how I would answer this question. Uh, and I would answer this question first and foremost by saying, you learn to view friends, view those of the opposite sex as brothers and sisters. I can't tell you how, when I was single and someone presented this to me, how it radically altered how I viewed single women. View friends of the opposite sex, first and foremost, as brothers and sisters. Paul says it like this in Romans. He says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. What does it look like to honor someone else? What does it look like to love someone else as a brother or as a sister? Now, if you're a follower of Jesus you're his disciple, you're a Christian, then relationships should be a really big deal to you, not just in marriage, but before marriage, because relationships matter to God. How we treat people matters to God. It's not just, it doesn't count, and then when you get married, then God starts paying attention. How you treat others before you get married is a huge deal to God, and it will have a tremendous impact on your future uh, relationship with your wife or with your husband. Now, for me, um, I'll just be completely honest with you. I was so insecure in my singleness that I made it my single goal to get girls to like me. It did something for me when a girl would think I was cute. It did something for me when a girl would express interest. And I was so insecure, and I ultimately didn't care about them. I only cared about getting that need met, getting that that feeding my, my insecurity, that I hurt a lot of women because I would do things, I would say things, I would act in a certain way just so that they would like me. And then when I got them to like me or do whatever I wanted them to do, then I would walk away and I'd go to someone else. Why? Because I wasn't committed to them. I didn't ultimately care about them. And a lot of that was just not only driven by my insecurity, but was driven by I didn't see them as a sister. I would never do that to my sister. I've got three sisters. I've got four sisters. This is the greatest one right here. So 
I would never do that to any of my sisters. And some older man challenged me and said, Michael, start treating women as if they're your sisters. And that just changed my, my entire approach to how I even understand and looked at and viewed uh, other women. Because I would never look at my sister with a lustful thought. I would never try to play with my sister's heart or head. In fact, I would do anything to protect my sister from a guy like that. And so if I would never do that to my sister, then why on earth would I do it to her? What does it look like to honor God and to honor your future spouse? Well, it started for me as viewing women or men of the opposite sex, if you're a girl, as first and foremost as a brother or as a sister. One of the things that I love how Paul admonished a young man named Timothy, and First Timothy, he said this, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. What began to kind of drive this, I, I read that, and wow, why does he say treat younger women as sisters? But then there's the tagline, there's the punch, with absolute purity. I know that I would never do certain things or treat or act in a certain way towards my, one of my four sisters. I would never do it. I'd protect her from guys who would do that. So why wouldn't I do that for, for, for any other woman? Now, for single women, I'm challenging men in this community, treat women with absolute purity, physically, emotionally. If you say they're just your friend, then treat them as such. Women, treating men as brothers means that you don't flirt with them, you don't try to get them to like you, and you don't dress in a certain way in hopes that they will take notice of you. Another way to say this is you don't act like their girlfriend when they're just your brother. You don't give them the benefits, as it were, of being in relationship physically, emotionally, and even practically of taking care of their needs because ultimately what you're doing is you're hindering his growth. He's going to stay a boy. He's not going to learn how to become a man if what you do is just act like his girlfriend but allow him to be in a quasi but not really relationship with you. And ultimately what you're doing also is you're using him to meet a need of yours. Namely, that you just might be insecure and you like having a guy around you. And so you're willing to do things for him just as long as he stays. Now, I share a few of these um, because, again, I, as I mentioned this, I didn't get until I got married how much my friendships with women had really impacted my friendship with Kyla the first few years of her marriage. I was the guy who had the attitude of, I just get along better with girls. They're so much easier to talk to, so much easier to connect with, blah, blah, blah. That was all cover for, I just want girls to like me. But I know women who say the same thing. I just, girls are so catty and they're so blah, blah, jealous and insecure. And I'm not like that at all. It's just easier for me to talk to guys. What you do in your singleness will have a profound impact on your friendship with your spouse in marriage. To the guys who say, it's just, I, I like being with girls. I like having friendships with girls. 
girls who say the same thing, but like having friendships with guys, it's not sustainable. What do you do when you get married? Are you going to carry on those relationships? I'm pretty sure, I don't even have to ask Kyla this one, but I'm pretty sure she wouldn't want me texting, calling, hanging out with any girl one-on-one once I was, when, when I'm married. I don't think she'd be like, oh, Michael, no problem. Hang out with whatever woman you want. Enjoy your time. I hope it goes well. In fact, I'll pray for you. <laughs> I don't think she would say that. Not because she's filled with insecurities, but that would dishonor her if I was doing that with another woman. And same thing, if Kyla did that and was like, hey, well, where are you going? Well, I'm going out with Johnny. What? Who's Johnny? Oh, he's just a guy that I've been... It doesn't work like that. It's not sustainable. I think another thing that happens if you don't know how to cultivate friendships with the, the same sex, I mean, if you're a guy and you're always just running to girls because they do something for you, they make you feel better about yourself then you do not know how to cultivate a meaningful relationship with another man. I am thankful that I've got some guys in my life who are not impressed by me. They know me, they know my stuff, and they're not afraid to ask me hard questions like, where are you really at in your walk with Jesus? What are you really doing to sacrificially serve and love your wife? If you don't know how to cultivate a relationship with a guy before you say, I do, it is going to be really difficult to do that after you say, I do. And the same thing with women. To those who think, oh, I just, I'm friends with guys, it's easier, it's better, I like it. What happens when you get married? You will need another woman in your life, not just to encourage you and comfort you when things are hard, but to challenge you and to love you and to serve you. What you do in your singleness will have a profound impact. And I think this was the thing that had the most profound impact in our early years of my marriage with Kyla. I think one of the most deadly poisons or toxins that can come into your relationship with your spouse is something called comparison. Because you're the guy who had friends, were friends with all of these women, what happens in marriage is you start comparing your wife to the other friends that you used to have. And you start saying things, well, I wish she knew how to have fun like so-and-so did. Or I wish she looked more like so-and-so did. And you start comparing your wife to that girl who was a friend, but you had all sorts of benefits with her. And you start comparing, your wife will always lose. Always. So the same thing with women. You cultivate friendships with men before you get married inappropriate friendships. If that's the only people you're hanging out with, you're going to find yourself saying, well, I wish he listened and understood me like so-and-so did. So-and-so used to just stay up with me till two in the morning and, and talk and listen, and he'd even cry. And you start saying things, I, I wish he, he knew how to share his feelings like so-and-so did. Well, so-and-so is sharing his feelings with you so he can get other things from you. One of the most deadly toxins, poisons that you can allow into your marriage is that of comparison. I so wish I could go back in my single days and do it so differently and not be the jerk who manipulated women just because I was insecure and came up with a bunch of excuses of why it was easier to be friends with girls than guys. It had a profound impact on my first few years of marriage. 
So if you're single and desirous of getting married, what I would so desperately want you to hear is the relationships that you have now with those of the opposite sex will have a profound impact on your relationship with your future spouse. What does it look like to honor God and honor her or him, future spouse? Well, treat them as a brother or as a sister. And let that family dynamic change how you think about them, talk about them, interact with them. That is honoring to God when I view a woman as a sister. If you're a woman, as you view that man as, this is my brother. That means I'm seeking what's best for him. I'm seeking what's best for her. And I think the hard thing, if you take that approach, when you say, because she's my sister, because he's my brother, I want what's best for them. Well, what's best for them may not be you. And I think the hard reality is some of you here who are single and doing relationships with those of the opposite sex, you might need to change dramatically what those relationships look like so you can honor God and you can honor your future spouse. So please, if you're single, just know what you're doing now has a profound impact. And if you do it well, if you honor God and you honor your future spouse, you enter your first few years of marriage already with a healthy foundation and a friendship that's ready to flourish. So I want to just finish with a few ways that Kyle and I have learned uh, over the years of this is what it means for us. This is what it's looked like for us to cultivate a meaningful, healthy, enjoyable, God-honoring friendship with one another. Uh, I've been married now for 14 years this Tuesday. Send me emails, Facebook. I'll love it all. On Tuesday, that's this Tuesday. Um, that's Valentine's Day, by the way, if any of you guys just didn't know. It's husbands, be forewarned. We've been married for 14 years. I've known her for 21 years. And I can honestly, in all sincerity, sit and say, uh, I not only love her, but I like her a lot. I genuinely like her. Now, we've not always done friendship well. We've not always done marriage well. I don't sit up here as the guy who, who's had 14 years of perfection. That's not been my story. But what has been our story is God's grace. He's been really good to us that after 14 years of marriage, uh, I still love her and I still like her. And I just wanted to share with you four things that have been extremely helpful. It's not exhaustive, but as Kyle and I talked about it, these are four things that were helpful for us in cultivating a meaningful, enjoyable God-honoring friendship with one another, where we can say, this is my lover, this is my friend. Number one is this. Our friendship with Jesus has mattered more than anything. James 4, 8 says this, come near to God and he will come near to you. The, the proximity and depth of our friendship uh, with Jesus over the years has determined the depth of our friendship with each other. Just simply say it like this. As I'm growing in my friendship with Jesus, I'm growing in depth of friendship with Kyla. When I get those reversed, and I'm not investing in my relationship with Jesus, my relationship with Kyla suffers. And it suffers primarily because I don't take sin seriously, and I'm really selfish. And when I'm not taking my sin seriously and I'm being really, really selfish, you know who feels that? First, my walk with God. Secondly, my wife. 
what has had the most profound impact on our friendship, hands down. So if you remember anything and you really want to have a friendship with your wife, with your husband, it starts, begins, ends, is sustained by your friendship with Jesus. So a good question uh, to think through is, husbands, how are you helping your wife grow in her friendship with Jesus? Wives, same thing. How are you helping your husband grow in his friendship with Jesus? The most, as a man, as a husband, the most, the best gift I can give to Kyla is not a really strong, hard work ethic, is not trying to make a lot of money, taking her on nice trips, providing for her nice things. The best gift that I can give Kyla is my friendship with Jesus. Because when I'm not growing in friendship with Jesus, she feels it and it hurts. The best gift, wives, that you can give your husband, hands down, is your friendship with Jesus. If you think otherwise, I would just be as bold enough to say you're wrong. And you're robbing your spouse of the greatest thing that you can give her, and it's a gift of your friendship with Jesus. So, husbands, how are you helping your wife grow in her friendship? Wives, how do you help your husband grow in his friendship with Jesus. For me, Kyla is incredibly generous and gracious to give me the time and space that I need to cultivate that relationship. At her own cost. If it's going away for extended retreats or days just so I can sit and be with God, she allows me that gift because she knows if I don't, she knows that if I'm not spending daily time in friendship with Jesus, she's going to feel it. The kids will feel it. The whole house will feel it. That's number one. That's been most helpful, hands down. The depth of our friendship with Jesus has dictated the depth of our friendship with one another. Uh, Number two is uh, over the years, uh, the things that we have been committed to, and I'm not saying perfectly, but it's been in our vocabulary, is we are committed to being gracious to one another. Meaning, what Jesus has done for me, I just want to do for her. What Jesus has done for her, she wants to do for me. Now, practically speaking, what this has looked like for Kyla and I is, and this is how we think about it, how we talk about it, is gracious to each other uh, privately and gracious to each other publicly. Uh, So, this is what it looks like in our private life, in our home, when no one's watching of how we are committed to being gracious. And these are two things. We're committed to believing the best in one another. And secondly, we're committed to not being historical with one another. Privately, what it looks like in the Davis home is that Kyle and I do the best that we can to view the best in one another. We don't start from the posture of, I think she did that, she said that because of this. She's trying to hurt me or she's trying to annoy me. She's trying to frustrate me. If my approach with Kyla is that I believe the worst, guess what happens every time? Every time you get the worst. If Kyla was historical with me, historical of always bringing up what I did last week, what I didn't do the month before, what I said that one year 
or what I failed to do five years ago, if she was always taking that hammer and hitting me over the head, there would be no friendship. There would just be hurt, pain, frustration, anger, and disappointment. Now, if you've ever been to a wedding, it's a good chance that you've heard this. Love is patient. It's kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love just doesn't fail. Privately for Kyle and I, what we've sought to do is to be gracious to one another, believe the best in one another, and not to be historical with one another. Can you imagine, if you're married, can you imagine if your husband always believed the worst in you? No matter what you did, no matter what you said, he was always believing, you were always having to start from the posture of you were doing it for a wrong motive or you were doing it from a selfish motive. Can you imagine, and when I say that, I realize some of you are like, well, that's what my marriage actually looks like. He always starts from believing the worst rather than believing the best. Husbands, can you imagine what it would be like if your wife was always just bringing up what you didn't do, what you should have done, and just bringing historical facts of your failures, of your sins in your face? Do you know why you can't do that in marriage? Because Jesus has never done that to you. I cannot do to Kyla what Jesus has never done to me. Jesus has never held up a record of my wrongs and stuck it in my face. Ever. Jesus has been faithful to remind me of his grace, of his forgiveness, of his mercy, of his compassion. So when we say what it looks like privately to be committed to be gracious to one another, we learn to believe the best in each other, and we learn not to be historical. Now, one practical way to begin believing the best in your spouse and to stop being historical with them is to learn how to be gracious to them publicly. So for Kyle and I, being gracious plays in two ways. There's the private side, and then there for us, there is the public side. For what it, for, again, for us, what it means to be publicly gracious to one another is we seek to be each other's biggest fans. When I see Kyla standing in a group, I never, and I'm not saying this pridefully, but I never worry that I, I hope she's not telling them what happened the other day. I never worry about, like, is she slamming me or am I going to be the brunt of one of her jokes? It doesn't even cross my mind that Kyla would speak poorly of me. And I've honored her in the same way. To the best of my recollection, and I'm not trying to be prideful with this, I'm trying to be honest to say we don't talk about each other poorly in a, in a public way. We don't do that in our home but when people hear me talk about Kyla, I want them to hear how, how awesome I think she is, how great I think she is, how I've been so encouraged by her and what she's done with this or with that. I don't know about you, but it angers me when I hear a wife disrespect her husband and complain about him or say something uh, in a negative light where it paints him in a negative way. Oh, oh, you don't know my husband. He's just this lazy blah, blah, blah. It saddens me. It angers me when I hear husbands 
talk about their wives in such a disrespectful way. The moment you start allowing that to come out of your mouth, friendship with your wife, it's just not possible. How can you cultivate meaningful friendship if when you talk about her, all you're doing is complaining? Now, I I didn't make this connection until this morning, but I was really thinking about worship. I pretty much only listen to worship music now. I really, I actually enjoy it. I really love it. I love singing when I'm in my house, in my basement, in my car, wherever I'm at. I really love singing out uh, worship songs. And the connection that I finally made this morning is, I think one of the reasons I love singing worship music out loud, why I love when the band here gets really loud and you can just kind of, you can sing so loud you can't even hear yourself. What I love about that is I'm saying, when I'm, the words that are coming out of my mouth are reminding me of truths that I've often forgotten. It's easy for me to forget about the goodness of God, the grace of God, the faithfulness of God, the awesomeness of God. But when I sing worship songs, I'm singing these things, and when the words come out of my mouth, it reminds me of my goodness, my God is awesome. There's no one like him. When I'm verbally singing praises of my wife in a public way, it reminds me of the good gift that I have in Kyla. Wives, when is the last time that you publicly praised your husband? Not privately, but publicly. When you're just standing around in your circle of friends, you're at work or church or community group, wherever you were, and you just, you couldn't stop talking about your husband. You actually kind of lit up a little bit. Smile was on your face. Husband, same thing. When's the last time you were sitting at work or wherever you were and you just couldn't stop talking about how much you love her, how proud of her you are for for whatever? If you'd cultivate a deep, meaningful, enjoyable, God-honoring friendship, what Kyle and I have learned starts with a deep friendship with Jesus and it's followed up with a commitment to be gracious to each other both uh, privately and publicly. Thirdly, I'd say this. Uh, Two more things. Uh, For Kyle and I, uh, it's a shared mission. Early on in marriage, we got together and said, what do we really want this thing to be about? And again, it's not always been perfect. But Kyle and I have not been confused over the last 14 years of what we wanted our mission in our marriage to be about. I mentioned to this uh, uh, to last. Uh, I mentioned this last week, uh, kind of in the introduction. But uh, the thing that Kyle and I want our marriage to be about is we we really want to be used by God. However, God wants to use us. We want to be used by God. That's our mission. If it's to introduce people to Jesus, we want to be used for that. If it's to encourage other people, serve other people, give. To, we just want to have a testimony that we see God at work in our lives, we see God at work around our lives, we see God at work through our lives. That's what our mission is, to be used by God. Now, I think what happens is many marriages, they lack depth and distance in friendship because they don't have mission. They don't have something that they've given themselves to. So the conversation is no longer, how do we see God at work around us? How do we position ourselves there the conversations become about uh, what color should we paint the living room? What movie do you want to rent from Redbox? 
What vacation are we taking next? Now, I'm not saying those are sinful things. Paint a room, go on vacation, watch a movie. That's great. But if that's what the mission of your marriage has largely become about, God has more. So if you're married, what is the mission of your marriage? What do you really want to see God do with you, in you, and through you? If you're not married but desires to get married, wow, make that decision now. This is what I've given myself to in singleness so that when you hit marriage, it continues just to go. And now you don't do it as one, but you do it as two. Now, again, I want to be practical. As you answer that question, what does it really look like? So if you say your mission is this, okay, well, what does this look like lived out between the two of you? So for Kyle and I, I'm just giving this as an example. Our commitment, our mission was, God, please use us. However you see fit, we just want to be used. We've been married for 14 years, and over 14 years, uh, roughly about nine years of our marriage, uh, we've had people live with us. I'm not saying that to impress anyone. I'm saying that's our mission, not to become a hotel, but our mission was, God, use us and So our conversations of, God, is this an opportunity to be used by you to bless someone else? Oh, it is. We say yes to that. Now, one of the things that has been helpful for Kyle and I, we're not confused about our mission. It's cultivating deep friendship because we're talking about that mission. But because that one example of our house being very open, by the way, that's been very challenging and difficult at times. But one of the things that has benefited more than anyone is Kyle and I. Behind closed doors, couples can get pretty nasty and pretty lazy. But when you open your home and your marriage in a public way, it encourages you to model something different. So I'm thankful for the many folks that have lived with us over the years because our friendship has benefited greatly from it. Because we we can't fake it in our house. It is what it is, and it has pushed Kyle and I to a deeper level of friendship. That's our example. If you're married, what's your example? What's your mission? If you're not sure of what it is today, talk about it. When you leave church and you go to wherever you're going, wives, ask your husband, what is our mission? What are we really about? Husbands, ask the same question. What are we really about? And how are we actually living that mission out? Because if you don't have an answer and you don't know what you're doing, your mission just becomes day-to-day. Let's watch a movie. Let's. So that's the third thing that's been helpful for Kyle and I in cultivating a deep, meaningful, enjoyable, God-honoring friendship with each other. And then lastly, uh, and this one is a huge learning curve for us, but number four is we're learning to enjoy one another. There will be many things that happen in marriage that try to rob you from enjoying your spouse. But if you want to cultivate a deep, meaningful, enjoyable, God-honoring friendship, you've got to learn to enjoy her. You've got to learn to enjoy him. Now, this is a verse that never makes it into the wedding program, but it's a great verse on marriage. Ecclesiastes, enjoy life with your wife, whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. It's a great verse. Solomon's heart is not just this Eeyore of the guy who's just depressed. 
his essence, in essence, what he's saying is life is short. It's a gift from God to us. He describes life as a breath, as a vapor, as a mist. Here today, gone tomorrow. So in the midst of that breath, if God has given you a spouse right now, enjoy her. Enjoy him. So the question becomes, what does it look like to enjoy her? Enjoy him. Husbands, do you know what your wife enjoys? And if you know what she enjoy, enjoys, are you creating space and opportunities not only for her to enjoy that, but for you to enter into what she enjoys. Now, I like mixed martial arts. Kyla does not like mixed martial arts. <laughs> Call me crazy, but I enjoy watching uh, the mixed martial arts of UFC. Um, Kyla, because she knows I enjoy it, she will actually watch it with me. Now, given half the time her eyes are closed, but the other time she's at least asking questions. Now, who is that guy again? And, you know, it looks like his head is almost falling off. Are they going to stop it soon? Like, but she's enjoying something that I enjoy. You all, if you're new here, I love Ohio State. In the fall, I talk about them a lot. Kyla, she'll put on Ohio State gear. Now, given she went there, so she loves it too. But she knows that I genuinely, genuinely enjoy just watching Ohio State football. So what does she do? On game day, she makes nice stuff and a nice spread of chips and nachos and lunch, and we do this Ohio State parade. Why? Because she knows I enjoy it and she wants to enter in. Do you know what your wife enjoys, and are you entering into that joy with her? If you would cultivate a friendship with your wife, with your husband, that is it's meaningful, it's profound, it's enjoyable, it's significant, it is honoring to God. If you'd cultivate, these are just four things that have been super helpful to Kyle and I. But if you're married, what would you put on your list? I think some of these are pretty universal and can be applied. But I think the conversation that needs to take place between husbands and wives today is what are we doing to cultivate our friendship? If you think that it will just happen because you live closely together, it won't. You will just be roommates. So what are you doing today to cultivate friendship that honors God and is enjoyable to you as well? If you're single but yet you desire to get married, know that the relationships you're forging today will either have a profound impact negatively on your friendship with your spouse or actually if you approach friendships in a way that honors God and your future spouse today in your singleness, your wife or your husband will be so blessed because of how you treated other men or treated other women in your singleness. You prepared for friendship. Don't wait until you say, I do, to then figure out the friendship factor with your wife. Do it now. Do it now. Father God, I just give thanks that um, you are good and gracious and kind.
God, I give thanks uh, for the gift of friendship with you. God, I give thanks that you made it completely and absolutely possible to have friendship with you through your son, Jesus. And God, if there's just one person here today that doesn't know you, Jesus, as friend, then Jesus, I pray that today they would begin that relationship. They would begin that journey, that friendship. Jesus, that they would confess that they've sinned against a holy God and cry out to you, Jesus, as Savior. That today they would begin. God, for those that are here and are married, God, I pray that you would not only bless the marriages that are here, but God, I pray that these marriages would experience, encounter daily, often, the type of friendship that you desire us to have. God, if there's things that we're doing right now that are ultimately killing or getting in the way or hurting our friendship with our husband or with our wife, God, that we would repent of that to you and to our spouse. God, if there's things that folks are doing right now in their singleness that are not honoring to you and not honoring to a future spouse, God, I pray that they would repent of that and choose to honor you and honor their future spouse by the way they treat and act and interact with those of the opposite sex. God, whatever it is that you've been speaking to our hearts in this place today, God, I pray you give us the grace we need, the courage we need to respond to you. We're going to spend some time worship, in worship, uh, responding to God. We do this every week at Genesis, and I'm thankful that we do. We celebrate communion. If you're a Christian, we do this to remember that Jesus was without sin, paid the penalty for our sin, and rose again. That's the gospel. Jesus made possible relationship with God because of his life, his death, and his resurrection. So if you're a Christian, come celebrate that truth today. Spend some time praying, responding to God, and as you're ready, come and celebrate communion today. And if you're not a Christian, it is our desire that you would become a Christian. And we're going to, I'm doing something a little bit to